definitely changed my mindset of what we need to be doing um, and the kinds of stuff that we need to justify. Um, so I'm starting to think more business-like, which is a little painful for me. It's not something I'm finding particularly comfortable um, being basically a, an academic, but um, it is making me think about market sizes. Um, uh, who's going to buy this? Um, how do we format it into either a product or something that a company would be interested in looking at? And so, yeah, it's helped me understand that a little better, I think. Hello, and welcome to the MTP Connect podcast. I'm Caroline Jewell. MTP Connect's Ready Fellowship Program provides medtech and pharma companies with financial support to bring Australian researchers, clinicians and professionals in-house for up to 12 months to work on priority medical research projects. The program is funded by the Medical Research Future Fund with additional support from the Department of Industry, Science and Resources and the CSIRO. The idea of connecting researchers with industry is critical for the growth of Australia's medical product sector and so far, 48 fellows have been selected. One of those fellows is Mark Taylor. He's the Professor of Biomedical Engineering from the Medical Device Research Institute at Flinders University in Adelaide. Mark joins us today to tell us about the project that he undertook with Synopsys Northern Europe, which is part of the US-based Synopsys Incorporated, a world leader in electronic design software. And my co-host today is MTP Connect's Joe Close, Director of the Adelaide Intermediary Program. Welcome, Mark and Joe. It's great to have you on the podcast. So, Mark, tell us about your work at the Medical Device Research Institute in Adelaide. So um, I've been here at the Medical Device Research Institute now since 2012, and my background is um, orthopaedic biomechanics. Um, most of my work is computational based, and so um, I'm involved in developing anything from preclinical testing right the way through to uh, designing uh, algorithms, I suppose, that could be implemented in surgical planning. Um, it used to be it was just computational methods, but now there's kind of a, a phrase which is the in silico medicine. Um, so using computational tools to help uh, healthcare in some way or another. And I say that in silico medicine goes right the way from diagnosis, preclinical testing, uh, in silico clinical trials is an, an emerging area. And that's actually um, part of the work that we did as my Ready Fellowship. And then all the way through to actually post-market surveillance as well. So it's anywhere we can use computational tools to help um, uh, diagnose or treat patients. And in my case, in orthopedics. Tell us a bit more about in silico clinical trials. So basically the premise is the same as a normal clinical trial. So clinical trials, the aim is, is that you have a well-defined question you're trying to answer, and it's usually is um, treatment or design X better or um, worse than an existing treatment. And there's usually well-defined goals or um, objectives in that clinical trial. So in orthopedics, it's usually, um, does it have a, a lower revision rate at five years than a, another implant? What we're trying to do is replace that physical clinical trial with uh, modeling. So um, there are certain scenarios where there are certain failure modes which we can simulate using our computational tools. Um, and so what we can do is replicate that clinical trial. We have a well-defined uh, question, does design A work better than design B? Um, we can simulate it in a population of patients. And so, um, 
we are now now getting access to large volumes of clinical data and so we can generate those patients we can run them through the analysis and then we can see whether you know devices x is better than design y and really the goal of that is to screen out poor designs before they get to the real clinical trial um, one of the problems that we have at the moment in orthopedics is that really the clinical trial is where we find out whether a device works or not um, and so that's putting patients at unnecessary risk um, and actually the healthcare provider and also the companies, you know, ex exposes them to significant risk um, of financial cost associated with failure. And so if we can shortcut that process a little bit and have a bit more confidence going into a real clinical trial that a device is going to work, then obviously that's better for everybody. Golly, so this is quite critical work for, I guess, development of new products and new implants. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so at the moment in the regulatory framework, um, in silica clinical trials uh, are not recognised, but it's an emerging field. Um, certainly the FDA uh, is investing heavily at looking at how these could be actually uh, implemented as part of the regulatory pathway. And obviously companies is a kind of a double-edged sword for them. Um, they want to improve the safety of their devices, but they also don't want additional burden of over-regulation. And so it's trying to walk the tightrope of um, uh, ensuring the fact that this is in the longer term beneficial for um, everybody, but not overburdening in the regulatory uh, framework as well. Um, I would like to see in the next five years, but I suspect it's probably going to be the next decade, um, insulated clinical trials will start forming part of that regulatory framework. So tell us what made you decide to get involved in a Ready Fellowship? So um, early in my career, um, I did a short stint in industry. And so when I finished my PhD, I went and worked for a small orthopedics company. Um, and actually, I think it kind of set me up in understanding what um, kinds of research that I wanted to do. Um, obviously, I then jumped ship and I came to academia and I've been in academia now for well over 20 years. Um, and even though most of my research is very applied, we work closely with industry. Um, over half my funding uh, usually comes from some form of industry uh, linkage. But I felt that I was getting a little distant from the actual kind of the coalface of actually what it's like to be within industry. And also um, some of the work that we've been doing, um, we've always worked, I suppose, more in a consultancy mode um, where we work with companies and we develop tools to help them understand how their devices are working. But we've never been able to actually exploit them and actually embed them into clinical usage. And so I felt like I needed to understand how we can bridge that gap and actually start properly exploiting our, our technology. And so the fellowship was a, an obvious way of actually, huh, let's get embedded back into a company and see what they do in terms of, you know, what process they go through to try and justify making upgrades to their software in order to then uh, get it out into the marketplace. And so for me, it was, yeah, getting a better understanding of what the companies look for um, when they're looking at technology um, in order to translate it. And so then understanding how we can translate it from the university outwards uh, to companies. And so obviously then, Mark, you ended up doing your Ready Fellowship with Synopsis, which is a world leader in electronic design software. Tell us a little bit more about Synopsis and, and why you selected Synopsis as the place to go and do the Ready Fellowship. 
So um, Synopsys is a, a big uh, multi-billion uh, corporation, um, but one of the wings of that uh, company now is a medical imaging uh, software company. And so uh, it's the Simpleware platform. So Simpleware uh, were actually developed uh, or born back in the mid-2000s. Um, and I became aware of them when uh, actually one of my PhD students uh, went and worked for them. So they develop software which basically translate, uh, converts medical images, typically CT scans and uh, MRI scans, then into computational models. Um, and we've been using their software actually the whole time I've been here in Adelaide um, uh, because it's the pathway that we need to generate our in silico clinical trial models effectively. We need to go from those medical images to our computational models, which we then make predictions with. And so their workflow um, is essentially the building block for me to actually uh, do the stuff that I do. And so they were a natural partner in that respect. In parallel, I stayed in touch with my PhD student. Um, and so Rebecca, who um, uh, is now um, a senior product manager within Synopsys, um, I was still in close contact with her. And so it was um, easy to then make that connection and go, OK, uh, let's see what we can work out. And it just happened. Um, one of her roles within the company at the moment is basically trying to develop the in silico um, medicine uh, area for the company. And so uh, it, the planets aligned at the right time. And so uh, it was fortuitous and it, yeah, it worked out. Wow. Isn't it amazing how relationships that you have throughout your career can, uh, you know, it can be sort of ongoing in ways that you wouldn't expect. Yeah. And for me, it was also uh, really interesting. You know, obviously I was her PhD supervisor and then she became my industrial mentor. <laughs> I love that. And so she'd obviously made that move into industry. As you said, you'd chosen the academic path. She'd chosen the industry path. So it's fantastic to hear that those relationships are sort of symbiotic in a way. Absolutely. Um, and certainly, uh, yeah, she's been very helpful over this past year. Um, I'd say for me to gain an understanding about what it is companies are looking for in that tech transfer uh, and whether it's to buy it from universities or even justifying it internally within the company. So did you find that there was still that need or requirement from companies like Synopsys to work with academics on this type of project? Absolutely. So um, one of the things I realised is that, you know, they have a finite resource uh, internally and they certainly have their own skill sets, but they're always looking at um, what's going on uh, in the wider community. And obviously academia is one of those places because it's where, you know, we're playing, uh, we're uh, trialling techniques, we're, uh, uh, we're, you know, particularly me, I look at um, beyond the biomedical sphere, you know, we're looking at engineering, we're looking at computer science to find new techniques which can push things forwards uh, in whatever way is uh, necessary. Um, for me at the moment, it's trying to make models really super quick to run so that we can get them into surgical planning software. Most of my models, they take hours to run and, you know, it's not viable, but uh, we're looking at techniques that maybe get that down to seconds. And so if we can do that, we can actually Im implement them on surgical planning software. And so they're obviously always looking at universities in order to gain that insight of, OK, what it might be a bit peripheral, but what could we be embedding into the software which might be useful in the future? 
And did you actually travel to Synopsys overseas to their offices or did yep. you do the so, work from Australia? So uh, the vast majority of the time I actually worked remotely. So um, I was uh, I was only half time on my fellowship. And so I would spend the first half of my work working week working for Synopsys and then the second half for the university. Um, and so I would just work from home for the um, first uh, two and a half days of my week. Um, but I did then go over to um, Synopsys for two two week um, visits. And so that was particularly the first one was important. Um, Synopsys run a nine month development cycle on the software. And so we timed it so that I went over um, for basically the initial meetings around that development cycle. And that really was where they were defining what um, features, what things were they aiming to then build into the next release of their software. And so it was really useful for me to go see um, the process they went through for basically justifying um, and ranking, you know, which things are we going to hear? And also then over subsequent weeks, you know, huh, these are the things we wanted to do. Uh, this is the resource we have in terms of the development developer times. Um, uh, what actually is going to make it into the next release? And so that was a useful process to be there physically for, even though they were still working remotely for a large percentage of the time. For those that initial meeting, um, basically everybody was in the, the office for uh, over about a week, 10 day period. Mark, you talked a lot about seeing that software development journey and also seeing the way that the company was prioritising the software requirements and the like. How has this placement really changed your perspective on the way that you work when you go back into your academic career? So I think I've been starting to head this direction uh, anyway, is um, how can we translate better uh, what we've been doing? I've been working in this computational biomechanics field now for um, over two decades. And um, I would like to think by the time I retire that um, there is going to be something, a widget that I can point at in a piece of software and go, we developed that. And um, we haven't got there yet. For me, it's the, okay, what what we were doing wrong or what aren't we doing well enough to translate? Um, and part of it, I think, was the, the time, the tools we, we had, we were, we were just end users of software. Um, what I now understand is, is that um, we are now starting to build tools which actually can translate. There are, there are a number of areas where we're exploring what we can do. As a consequence of that, I'm changing my funding uh, application strategy. I'm not going for kind of the research-based stuff now. I'm now going for the tech transfer type um, funding. So actually with uh, Synopsys last week, just submitted an NHLMRC uh, development grant. Um, again, and then that's trying to take um, the concept of a workflow that we have through to hopefully um, the point where we can start applying for regulatory approval. Um, and so it's helped me change my mindset of what we need to be doing um, and the kinds of stuff that we need to justify. Um, so I'm starting to think more business-like, which is a little painful for me. It's not something I'm finding particularly comfortable um, being basically a, an academic, but um, it is making me think about market sizes. Um, uh, who's going to buy this? Um, how do we format it into either a product or something that a company would be interested in looking at? And so, yeah, it's helped me understand that a little better, I think. And with that new insight that you've got, Mark, how were you able to share that with your team and with others around you at Flinders? Um, that's an ongoing process, I think. Um, I think it's... Uh, with my students, um, I feel like better able to actually talk about from 
real experience rather than oh this is what happens in industry um it's just like no this this is what happens in industry this is what i actually do you know and i'm not just talking about this is you know a real thing that is happening with my colleagues is actually again it's just trying to identify um okay you've got a bit of pure research but where can we take this where is a, an application um i think an important part now um just because funding success rates uh, nhmrc and arc are so low um we need to be developing industry buddies uh so basically every academic should have an industry buddy who you know they can go talk to um so that when schemes come up you know there was the australian uh, economic accelerator grants came out just recently you know have you got somebody that you can actually leverage some funding with um through schemes like that um if you haven't got those relationships kind of um developing to just cold call somebody is really hard whereas if you've already started talking to people you have some relationship with them it may not have been funded yet or you've done little bits of pilot work but you have that connection that's really important and i think that's what i'm trying now to um, get my colleagues to do is you know make sure that you have one or two industry buddies that um, you're having regular contact with so that you can take those opportunities when they arise I love that, Mark, and I love it that you've taken that opportunity and perspective from Ready and embedded it um, over there at Flinders University. Um, what do you think was the most surprising insight that you got from this fellowship? Um, I suppose the similarities between uh, industry and uh, academia. Um, so there are big differences, but actually there are very close similarities. The thing that surprised me enough the most was the resource question, you know, or issue. They have a finite resource. Um, in, in academia, what we're normally having to do is um, apply for funding and bid for stuff in advance to get our resource. In industry, they have a resource available to them. So they have developers who, you know, they're full-time employees, but they only have a certain number of them. And so what they're having to do is in that development cycle, basically they're trying to prioritize where they put those developers. Um, so approaching the same problem from a different end rather than having to apply for funding they're just having to then prioritize and allocate resource within that finite resource they have available to them and that development budget you know um i think i always find it frustrating when you know you, you think about the uh, the large multinational companies you know the billions of dollars of turnover but the actual r d budgets are quite small and so um the the resource they have is is finite and they have to use it wisely um and in the same way that you know we have to focus and target an area and then try and get funding around it if you could guess what insights they took from you what do you think might have stood out to them in having you a part of their organization <laughs> good question um hopefully that uh we are useful academics are useful um uh as an academic, I think we have to change the way we think a little bit when we're working with industry. Um, and an idea isn't enough. Um, so we all have super whizzy ideas, but you know you need to be able to say whether that idea is actually uh, marketable or whether you could actually develop something that was actually going to be uh, bought by somebody. But hopefully, um, by working in collaboration and actually developing decent relationships, um, we can translate stuff over which is of use to them and hopefully uh, help them to accelerate some of those programs that they've got internally um, and also just because um, 
not sure it's true to all academics, but uh, because of my connections with the orthopedic industry, um, it helped gain, give them some insight about what the orthopedic companies were uh, looking for and the types of research that we were doing with them. And that helped them guide what kind of things that they needed in the software. Mark, you talked about that that sort of orthopedic industry. Do you have connections with orthopedic clinicians as well? Does it extend to that sort of ecosystem that you are tapped into? We have, have some uh, close relationships here in Adelaide, um, particularly Bogdan Solomon, actually, uh, the Royal Adelaide Hospital, um, uh, but also uh, Ruth Jasma here at Flinders uh, Medical Centre um, in different aspects. Bogdan Solomon is more related to the joint replacement stuff uh, that we do, uh, whereas um, Ruth Jasma um, is actually around fracture prediction and fracture um, uh, in osteoporosis. And so Ruth is working quite a lot on AI related work trying to predict fracture um, and that's an area where we're starting to head towards in some of the techniques that we're using using these rapid solution methods for um, potentially for diagnosis this fast pace of this sort of technology I mean, in terms of like the data that you're dealing with and the software programs that you're working with is that sort of driving the pace of your research area Absolutely. Um, so for me, um, and everybody talks about AI, and um, I know it's a huge buzzword, but it's making significant differences to what we can do. Uh, it's what will enable us to take our solution times from hours and sometimes days to seconds. And it's one of the things that I took from uh, Synopsys. Um, they've been using uh, AI for um, training uh, basically auto segmentation tools. So how do you identify a bone within an image? And, you know, the software was built on basically you manually identified where that was in the image. And they they had some tools to help process that. But over the past three or four years, they've developed AI, which will basically go and auto segment. So rather than somebody spending an hour, two hours manually doing it, they now do it in like three, four minutes. And, and, and it's good. It's really good. And it was knowledge of that technology and actually on my second visit we actually then sat down and went huh okay we we use some ai but it was really crude um but they've been using some deep learning techniques and so um part of my second visit was me getting some education in what those deep learning techniques were and it's actually those which i think we'll be able to use and implement to generate these really rapid solution techniques so obviously, Mark, you talk about that relationship with Synopsys and no doubt this fellowship has cemented that, obviously built on your PhD students' um, interactions with Synopsys and you ongoing. What has resulted from the Ready Fellowship that wouldn't otherwise have resulted for you? The main thrust of the, the Ready Fellowship was really developing this in silico clinical trial workflow. Um, over and above that, though, there are two areas that have spun out from that. Um, one is this osteoporosis diagnosis um, uh, workflow, which is using effectively the same thing that we were doing for hip replacements, but it's actually how can we rapidly generate a model of somebody's um, femur using um, from opportunistic CT scans, but then make a prediction of their fracture strength. Um, and that's combining their also segmented tools with this rapid solution technique. And so, like I say, that already has led to uh, an NHMRC development grant proposal that's just gone in fingers crossed. But the other one is uh, more widely is on the development of these solution techniques. Um, and so, yeah, we're working on another application with Synopsys at the moment um, where it's a proof of concept to try and for them to sell internally about whether they then invest uh, more in developing that kind of technology. So it sounds like you've got a lot on your plate. What's the next thing for you, Mark? 
as ever chasing funding um but it's it's all around this in silico medicine uh, area for me the i suppose the main thrust is um now it's around a diagnosis um so for me around that osteoporosis uh, area and then at the other end it's the surgical planning is how can we start embedding some of the tools and techniques that actually we've developed years ago actually into uh, surgical planning uh, workflows for hip and knee replacement and uh, I'm off to Sydney tomorrow to talk to another orthopedic company uh, about a potential proposal uh, related to that kind of area. And as our society ages and lives longer, there's going to be more and more of this type of orthopedic surgery required, people to keep their mobility up. So this is just an area of growth, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and actually, on the osteoporosis side, um, we actually have no screening program for osteoporosis. Um, the first time you probably realise you have osteoporosis is when you pitch up in the uh, fracture clinic because um, you've had a low energy fracture. Um, so some of the techniques we're talking about is using opportunistic CT scans. So you have a CT for another reason, but then actually um, at the same time, test to see whether you've got osteoporosis or not. And so um, trying to reduce the healthcare burden because it's um, billions of dollars every year we spend on fractures. Wow, that sounds like the work that you're doing is going to really have an impact in this area. And it's really great to hear about the benefits of the Ready Fellowship for you and Synopsis as well. And that sort of two-way flow, the relationship building and some of the great things that have come out of it. So it's been really fascinating talking to you today, Mark. Excellent. Thank you. It's been fun. This has been the MTP Connect podcast. Thanks for listening to the show. Our thanks to Professor Mark Taylor from the Medical Device Research Institute at the College of Science and Engineering at Flinders University, who joined the podcast to talk with us today about his Ready Fellowship with Synopsis. Remember, it's easy to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. And if you enjoyed the show, feel free to give us a rating. It really helps others find our podcast. Until next time.